Welcome to Dialogue on Teaching, Wabash Center's podcast series. I am Nancy Lynn Westfield, Director of the Wabash Center. Paul Myrie, Senior Associate Director, is in the Sound Engineers booth. It is my pleasure to welcome to the conversation today, the Reverend Dr. Vanessa Lovelace. Dean Lovelace is Vice President of Academic Affairs and Dean, Associate Professor of Hebrew Bible, Old Testament at Lancaster Theological Seminary. Dean Lovelace, welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for this invitation. It is a pleasure. So let's, I know you have for a long period of time, uh, a deep commitment to students, to student formation, to preparing, using the time in seminary for preparation that is not just, you know, just kind of, uh, I'm gonna say ethereal, but preparation that actually will create leadership for churches, leadership for the wider society, for the publics that we serve. Talk a little bit about when you think about student formation, what kinds of things are you, do you consider? And then we will segue quickly into, this is an unusual time to try to be preparing students to do anything. On the one hand, you have um, students who come into seminary because it's required of them for credentialing. You know, their ordination says you have to have an MDiv to be ordained. Um, but you have another group who are there because they have questions about the wider world and themselves in it and God. And, um, and so those two groups of students converge. And I think at some point, both of them really start to um, get a greater sense of that there is more that they can do for the world that is not just around taking, getting this degree for credentialing or just for personal knowledge, but that they can actually go out into the world and make a change. Mm-hmm. And so what I see, and I've been in both now, um, I spent seven years at the Interdenominational Theological Center in Atlanta, uh, which was predominantly you know, a consortium of um, black seminaries. And so it was predominantly African-American and then I, you know, currently at Lancaster, it's predominantly white. But I found that the one place that both of those groups of students are converging and is really important in where we are today is we do give them with, even though when they come in and they tend to be conservative, both groups um, around their understanding of the Bible and reading it literally when they come in and being exposed to the different methodological ways of looking at the Bible, learning about church history and ethics and um, how they make decisions based on their Christian faith and formation, all of those things start to have meaning for them. Mm -hmm. And they start to become these socially conscious and justice oriented people. Mm -hmm. But their churches aren't there. Mm -hmm. And so we send them back to these churches that are interested in what they've learned, are interested in the people they become and are resistant to that. Mm -hmm. And so one of my larger questions in terms of what is the role of graduate theological education today is how do we not only prepare those types of students, but then how do we prepare them to uh, survive and thrive in those spaces that don't want what they come with? So my students at Drew, when I taught at Drew for 20 years, um, their refrain was, Doc, if we take back to our churches the stuff you are teaching us, you singular and plural, me personally, as well as my colleagues, they will fire us. Yes. 
And we in the class, <laughs> in my classroom, my reframe was, what better reason than to get fired, but for justice? So I was a little flip, but on the other hand, I do think it is the challenge of, of justice, uh, the challenge of this time and Christianity to be prophetic, right? So, so what we're up against is preparation of student and, student and church leadership on how to be prophets in a land where the, where capitalism is running amok, even in our churches, right? So I understand that they need salaries for their families, right? So I'm not, I'm not so idealistic that that is not a real concern. Um, however, the prophet is never welcomed and issues of justice are very difficult. So, so I know Lancaster recently um, did a, did, created a new model trying to get at um, helping prepare students for this work of justice because so many of so many students need to continue to work while they're in seminary, right? So you all did some right. recent innovations uh, with those kinds of things in mind. We did. In 2015, we went, not only did we, you know, when they reviewed the curriculum, they took it from 90 to 75 um, credit hours, but they also but their goal, what was their mandate was, we have students today who are working, they are working full time, they are working 40 plus hours, they are ministering um, or whatever job they have um, in the church or in public service, whatever that looks like, how, their how they define their vocation. And they wanna to go to school, they wanna get this degree, they want this learning. And how do we accommodate them? So we propose two new schedules. We'll keep our traditional day students, the day schedule where you know, they go to school and not even just in the day, but we eliminate evening club courses. So now you know, we have our day students, but then now we have this weekend track and the students can come on Friday night. And if they're coming from a distance, some are coming from Baltimore, some are coming from New Jersey, Delaware. Um, we have housing, so they stay overnight um, they have breakfast with us, they have chapel with us, they have class on Saturday, then they go home and they go back. And then synchro uh, asynchronously, the rest of the week, they uh, work on their own at their own pace. And that is actually a marvelous model, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. hybrid of both the embodied in person and then the um, asynchronous. Thank you, Paul Meyer, <laughs> for um, the Wabash uh, online teaching uh, workshop. Uh, and so, that, except as wonderful as that was, and as well in some regards uh, in helping to meet the working students' needs that provided, it also meant that you had this small faculty who was doing double work. Yeah. And that also meant that you had to hire twice as many adjuncts for those other courses. Yeah. And, so, and we have, I mean, our, the curriculum, the education itself, I think is excellent, the, the way the course uh, curriculum is laid out, and especially when you get to the end, we have these, um, we call the integrative uh, studies courses, where they start to really put the theoretical into practical use. Mm -hmm. And those were imagined as being team taught by either um, faculty team teaching, or getting, uh, some of them have a practitioner and a theoretician. You know, they have the academic and the person actually in the field, working in poverty, working in the prison ministry, and so on. Well, but you still have to double that because you have to provide the same courses 
for the day as you do for the weekend. Mm -hmm. And so we are at a place now where we are both assessing that and finding, you know, do your SWOT analysis. There are some strengths in this. There are some clear weaknesses in this. So now what are our opportunities going forward? And what are some of our serious threats that if we don't attend to this are mm -hmm. going to cause the whole thing to collapse? And so now we're looking at how can we um, the, it takes this opportunity, especially with some of the things that have happened and we've learned through the pandemic in being innovative and creative um, and coming up with a, not losing that excellent educational curriculum, but how do we deliver it differently that benefits the students even more and it benefits more students. So I, I think with your leadership and at your school that you are a living experiment, a living case study for what happens when institutions rightfully in this moment try to reconceive, try to innovate, because that's the word, you know, the word on the street right now is reconceive, reimagine, you know, do all this re-stuff. Institutions, it's hard to redesign an institution so that you're not killing the people who live in the institution, right? So this double right. work, right? You all are, you all have, have, it's the same degree of masters of divinity. I'm assuming you're the masters right. of divinity courses. Master of arts, uh, right. You, I've got, you've got a faculty that's trying to cover the week and the weekend and the hybrid and the online and, uh, right? So, right? So a good design, but how do you, now that you've designed it, make it fit in the, into the institution. That's tough going, right? That, that, takes, right. that takes a real sense of commitment to not walk away and say, do the best you can. I mean, the institution not walking away and saying, well, we innovated something. So now, because institutions rarely know how to refine in, innovations once they do them. So when you're talking about doing the SWOT analysis, even that step is so, will be so beneficial for those of us who are watching you <laughs> trying to figure this thing out. Yeah, <laughs> that is a lot of pressure, but I'm also excited. Um, I would add to that. And I want to be one of those, the, the seminaries that changed the world. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm, just, mm -hmm. um, and so how, how can we take the leadership position in making this change mm -hmm. that our peers can look at and say, that might work for us. Some version of that might work for us. I, yeah. I think, I mean, again, I think the brilliance of the changes uh, that you all are undertaking, the little bit that I know about it, because it is so student-minded, because it is so leadership-minded, you know what I mean? So you can, you can take an institution, you can take a curriculum, you can take a school and do all kinds of shifts for all kinds of reasons. You all are squarely trying to figure out how do we prepare students? I know a lot of institutions who are doing innovative stuff. Students are not on their minds. How do we um, prepare students? But also, how do we help them thrive? And I know that's another one of those words that gets tossed around a lot. But when you talk about, back to that, multivocational, because most aren't by. They're not just mm -hmm. working and mm -hmm. going to school. They're mm -hmm. working and they're ministering and they're going to school and they're parenting and they're... Um, maybe caring for elderly parents. I mean, there's a whole lot going on in people's lives mm -hmm. that it makes it, they're barely getting to class. They're mm -hmm. barely getting through those courses. And so how do we also look at how do we help you to alleviate some of those burdens or manage those burdens 
so that you really get what we offer, have to offer you in this classroom um, as you learn with your peers, you bring in your experiences and their experiences and um, learning together. And in the midst of that tiredness, right? That is not just right. something small that is a part of being a student. Then for the message uh, for their thriving and preparation for it to be justice <laughs> and prophetic right. ministry, I can see how that's a problem. Right? I can see how that is like, you want me to do what you want me to what? No, I just yeah. came here. <laughs> right? Yeah. Try, trying to create, trying to make that tension a creative tension for people rather than just burdening them with these degrees and experiences of learning is not an easy task. Yeah, so that's what we have before us. But it's, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about the opportunity and the possibilities. So in the, in the redesign, do you all still think of it as a redesign or is it a part of your structure now and it's not thought of? You know how churches will build new buildings and for 30 years they'll call it the new building. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, again, it's the delivery is going to need to be a real redesign. Um, we pretty much uh, the consensus is even um, our interim president, our trustees, we all agree that the education that we are offering is sound and is good. It's how we're delivering it that's killing us. So one of the, the, the fact that your trustees are participating in these kinds of decisions and not just a, a, a desk on your faculty or administration or an administrator, the fact that the, from the trustees to the faculty to the administrators are all thinking about the problem that you're trying to solve is part of your success, right? Again, and so many, and so, um, so, I've got students on that assessment committee. So many organizations will pick one or two of those constituencies in an organization and always leave trustees out. Mm. So bravo to, to including, including the students. How, how are you all faring during uh, COVID, during this time, this pandemic time? On one hand, we're faring well because of already having the hybrid weekend program, our faculty had already, at least our, you know, our core our regular faculty had already been trained in online teaching, good pedagogical models. Um, and some of our, and we did what we could to help uh, train adjuncts at the beginning, that that adjustment for our students wasn't difficult. Because um, most half, well, you know, most of them, because it's two thirds of our students were in the weekend program. So that wasn't a difficult leap for them. Mm -hmm. um, actually, for some of them, they enjoyed it. Said, "Well, I don't have to do the commute now, so this is working even better." That's right. Um, but it still wears on the students and faculty because life still happens. Again, you have families. Um, you're all your partner maybe in one room, and his kids are in the other room mm -hmm. trying to. Um, you're trying to uh, homeschool and work, and got and all using the same. Um, Wi-Fi, you know, the bandwidth is getting reduced. Um, you have people who've gotten COVID and so now you're dealing with sick people in the house. Um, this anxieties if you've lost your job in the midst of this, lost your home, there's just so much. Uh, and I'm not aware of any of our students who have um, lost their home, but I do know some that, you know, that mm -hmm. lost work mm -hmm. that try and the lack of real physical contact. We don't, really realize how important 
even in remote learning, um, physical contact is yeah. in learning. And so they really miss that. We all really miss that. And I think that's been the most difficult part mm-hmm. for our students. Mm-hmm. That, that sense, so, so there is absolutely a, a sense of community online, uh, but having people together in spaces um, to feel viscerally community um, yes. is missed when it's not there. I mean, that's what, that's what you're talking about. How are you doing, right? What are you doing for self-care? I know we, some of us been talking about is the self-care routines we used to have, we've lost those self-care routines. Yeah, um, you know, well, I guess we, when we tend to think of self-care, um, it might be, um, you know, spiritual devotional life, or, you know, for me, it was more that physically active getting outdoors. In some ways that's been harder because, you know, between the the cold and the snow, um, it's been harder to take those morning walks that I would do uh, three days, three or four days a week. My husband and I would get up and we would walk early in the morning or I'd walk with a colleague. But um, what I didn't, fortunately was didn't have to give up is twice a week, I have a personal trainer and, you know, he keeps his COVID protocols. I keep mine and so, and we keep six feet apart and masks on the entire time I'm working out. Um, and that has been so meaningful to be able to maintain that schedule, um, to come out of there feeling not only physically strengthened, but mentally and spiritually strengthened by those workouts. That's attending to the body again, right? So we- Yeah, we, yeah. It, it, it's it's co- co- attending to the body during COVID, attending to the body when you're working remotely, easily slips off the, you know, slips off the schedule. So the fact that you you scheduled that in, built that in, and are attending to your body, not like it's something extra, you know, but that it's right. got to keep a strong body, even if you're staring into a camera for hours and hours a day, is pretty remarkable. And getting up, especially maintaining that, um, I will tell my colleagues in advance, or sometimes I'll type it in the chat if I'm a meeting, I'm here, but I've got to turn off the uh, video camera for a minute and get up and stretch and walk yeah. and, and just turn off the camera, you yeah. know. The meeting I'm going into, uh, the ATS, uh, African-American um, presidents and deans uh, meeting for two days. And it's both, it's two days all day. And, you know, to be mindful of turning off the camera. So even to say, I'm here, I hear you. I've got my, you know, um, Bluetooth earbuds on so I can move around the room and still hear you. Um, but to be uh, mindful, of even those small practices of, self-care. I, I strain and trying to focus in, on these screens is a real thing, right? So right. <laughs> uh, turning off the camera for, for the mind, but also for, literally for the eyes, so you don't have eye strain is something mm-hmm. that, you know, a bunch of us have been working on. People are purchasing eyeglasses, new eyeglasses, Listen. because of the glare of the screen. <laughs> By the end of the day, I don't think I can see some days if you've been on on Zoom for four, five, six hours a day, right? So yeah, right. The, the, um, I listen, and I keep saying I need to go and get an eye checkup because I know I need stronger lenses. So I, I mean, again, but attending to the body in this moment is critical, right? As right. as as we're leading these institutions, as we're relating to students both in our presence and, you know, on the screen, in our presence on the screen, our bodies should not be ignored. Absolutely. 
I, I was telling my staff the other day, I know seven people whose backs are out and are in physical therapy. Wow. Just from sitting in those chairs all day long. That's my official diagnosis, not that I can <laughs> Bad chairs. <laughs> <laughs> to add to it, bad chairs. <laughs> Right, so they but the sit and slumped over the computers, and you're and then people want to get up and you know run seven miles or use their snow blowers or whatever, and their backs are going out. So that's that's scary to me. So when I when you know how other people's pain motivates you, at least it does for me. (laughs) (laughs) So now I get like you said, I get up more often. I don't sit in the chairs often. I try to set an alarm to move around, but all, all those habits have to be incorporated and mindfully thought of as, as part of what we're talking about. There's a mindfulness exactly. about attending to our bodies um, in this age of staring into these screens that, that uh, it's not new, but there's something, of, it's more critical. Seven people in physical therapy, and I only know nine people, Vanessa, and seven, <laughs> seven of them are in physical therapy. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much for this conversation. Um, the work that you all are doing at Lancaster Seminary, again, I don't, and I don't mean to put pressure on you. So we will, I will watch from afar. Um, but I do think that you are, you and many schools are on to something that the rest of us can learn a great deal from as you are on your journey. So thank you. Thank you. To the Wabash and Center. Thank you to listen- Wabash, because I know um, whatever... Um, is out there, you know, if we reach out to you all, you are there. If, if it's the resources, if it's the podcast, if it's, um, you know, the syllabi, um, um, what I want to say, the, the, the holding, <laughs> but that's not what it's called. Um, you are there to support us in teaching. And I don't want that to go without mention how much I appreciate that. Thank you. My, my, I have a great staff. Um, so I have a great staff. I'm going to boast about my staff. I don't, I don't have a good staff. I have a great staff. Um, so the projects that we work on and, and the kinds of things we're able to do for people is because they work hard and, and are attentive to people's needs and nimble in what we're asked to do. So thank you for noticing, uh, the work that my staff does. I appreciate that. To our listeners, the Wabash Center is a, uh, the Wabash website is what uh, Vanessa and I were just talking about is the place to look for our many podcasts, essays and articles on teaching, as well as our syllabus archive. Uh, if you'd like information about our grants and regranting programs or any of the programs that bring uh, cohorts of colleagues together, that information can be found on the Wabash Center website. A special thank you to podcast producer Carly Hollinsby and podcast assistant producer Rachel Mills. The music which we use to frame our podcast are the original compositions of our own Dr. Paul Myrie. Wabash Center for more than 25 years is exclusively funded by Lilly Endowment Incorporated. And we are out. How was that, Paul? <laughs> <laughs>